0: I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing change makers and culture shifters who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to Good Ancestor Podcast. Today we have La Krista Greco from Guerrilla Feminism and the Guerrilla Feminist. Um, I'm excited and curious to have this conversation with LaCrista because she is actually our first white guest on the podcast um, and we've just had a really interesting conversation about what this conversation is going to be like. So let's let's just dive in. Um, LaCrista is a writer, a speaker, a curator and a maker. She is a cis white woman who writes and speaks about feminism, digital activism, sexual violence, learning disabilities, sexual health, and more. She has an MA in women's and gender studies, and she's currently pursuing a second master's degree in library and information science. And the place that I connected with La is Instagram, where I spend most of my social media time. Um, I was really drawn to her account because she posted such informative, um, nuanced posts that really drew me in. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with her today. So welcome to the podcast, LaCrista. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Um, as I said, no pressure. You're our first white guest, but absolutely zero <laughs> <clear of> pressure.
1: <laughs> right, right, okay.
0: <laughs> All right let's let's kick off with our first question. Who are some of the ancestors, living or transitioned, familial or societal, who have influenced you
1: on your journey? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many. Um, I think. Those who are probably those who are, aren't related to me, I would I would name people like Emma Goldman, um, Sylvia Federici, Maria Rhoda, Volterine de Clare, a lot of anarcha feminists. Um, and then in terms of those who are related to me, my um, my grandmother, um, Elvira, my my grandfather um, and other um, answers that I don't really know much about either, um, but that I feel a deep connection to. Um, I think I also would need to say that um, so many Black women and Black femmes have informed a lot of um, my work. And although I can't count them as ancestors, um, I would like to name them as well. So people like Angela Davis, Kimberly Crenshaw, Patricia Hill Collins, Audrey Lord, um, so many amazing uh, people who have really uh, influenced me and informed what'm what I'm, what I'm doing currently.
0: Mm. Thank you for naming that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So LaCrista, you are Italian North American. Yes. and I have uh, seen you speak about what your identity means um mm-hmm. both in terms of I've seen you talk about how important it is to connect to your own specific cultural roots mm-hmm. in terms of spiritual practices and rituals and traditions I know you practice I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up the name of it for the Stregonaria. Italian area Stregonaria. area area yeah which is which can you can you
1: explain what that is Sure. It's, um, it's basically the Italian, um, version of witchcraft and it's, um, sort of Italian folk magic. Um, it's specific to, well, for me, it's specific to, uh, Southern Italy, um, which is where my ancestors are mainly from. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a really, um, interesting cultural, um, specific version of, of being a witch basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and being spiritual and whatever that really, I mean, it's very open-ended for me. I think I, 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 use it in different ways. I use it mainly as a way to connect to my, my roots and my Italian ancestors. Hmm. Well, the thing that
0: intrigued me about, you, when I first uh, became connected to you and saw you speaking about this, was at the time I was very much um, recovering from um, seeing white women practice uh, spirituality, kind of new age spirituality, in a very culturally appropriative way. Yeah, and it was very refreshing to see someone who was really clear about what their specific roots are. And mm-hmm. who were specifically honoring that and not saying, let me choose what I want from this culture and from right. that culture and just <laughs> mix it up a
1: little bit. Um, right. What, what was has been your journey with that? Um, I mean, you know, I think I have definitely experienced and been that white person at some point in time too. Um, you know, sort of doing a lot of yoga and not fully understanding the, um, you know, the cultural connection of that practice Um, and, and especially seeing how bastardized um, yoga is here in the West um, that, that those of us who are white have really um, created that bastardization and, and um, appropriated that practice. Um, And so I, I used to actually teach yoga, I have a yoga teaching certificate. And I, this was before I really thought about these issues, because of course, for a lot for I would say all of us white people, we don't have to think about these issues, right? It's not, that's part of having white privilege is like being able to exist in this world without having to question or think about things that could potentially cause people of color harm. Um, And so I didn't really question it. I didn't really think about it. And then once I started to have more conversations with people of color, um, with specifically Indian women around the practice of yoga, um, I decided to stop teaching it because I felt like it was... Not okay for me to be teaching it, um, and I mean I also and and I'm not saying this as like a you know let's I should get any sort of applause or cookie or anything like that, um but it's definitely was a part of my my learning process and my journey um, navigating sort of like yeah, what those of us who are white really kind of do to spirituality that is not for us or due to spiritual practices that are not for us. Um, And I think so many white people are really hungry for some type of spiritual practice. And I think that's partially where that kind of that desire, you know, comes from is, is I think, A lot of us are very fragmented, um, but it's still not an excuse to just, like, go and, like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to take from these people and do this. Um, And so I think that's how I kind of then came to understanding my own uh, practice with with my ancestors and with the specifically is sort of what does that look like for me? How is that culturally relevant for me? Um, And, you know how can I make sure that it's not um, something that's going to harm people of color or, 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 cultures that I'm not a part of. Mm. Um, so that has really kind of been my, um, my, my journey around that. And I think today, I mean, I, I still, you know, I, I, I feel much, I, I always felt a little weird teaching yoga it's like, even though I didn't initially know, or I wasn't initially conscious, like, yeah, this is probably not a good thing for me to do. I still felt icky about it in some way. And so then, you know, I, it, it was great that I finally came to understand and learn about like, yeah, this is not like, this is why I feel icky about it and why I should feel icky about it and why I should not, you know, take up this space. Mm. Um, and so. I, I stopped teaching it and haven't taught it in several years and yeah. So mm. thank, well thank
0: you for sharing for sharing that with I would never have guessed that you were
1: previously a yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah. Well I just I know, I don't know if I should have outed myself or not, but oh well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well it well it um, I appreciate I, I
0: appreciate it because I appreciate learning about how you Came to that understanding within yourself. And um, it, it sounds like it's
1: the cultural connection to your own spiritual practice is now more meaningful. Oh, totally. 100%. Mm. And I think that's what I try to, I mean, that's one of the things I try to tell other white people too is like, you know, tr- look at your, look at what is specific to your, I mean, and this is the thing is like, there's not a, you know, a white culture and that's, yeah. I think, um, a thing too, that a lot of white people have a real, um, difficulty with, you know? Um, and I, and I, and I, and again, I'm not trying to like trying to coddle or or say I feel bad for those of us who are white and who like none of that. But I mean, I do think that that's sort of where a lot of it comes from is like, well, where, what do we do? Where do we go? Like, what do we, what, you know, so I try to tell people to like, look into what's culturally relevant for and available for you. Mm. Um, And, you know, clearly some, you know, it's, it's a, it's just it can be it can get into a really ridiculous point when white people are like well i'm you know 50% this and i'm 25% this or whatever right. like right especially with we, when we talk about european ancestry and so you know and and i get that um but i think that's one way to sort of at least for me to to sort of uh advise other white people like you know connect with that over connecting with something that is clearly not not yours and um is not something that you should you know go and co-opt from people of color um right so yeah and that point that you've made about the kind of white white culture
0: not actually being a thing i think i think this whole um awakening for many white people is is it, it is uncomfortable and then it it brings you it brings them face to face with this is what we have exchanged Mm -hmm. in receipt for the privilege of being white. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So we're going to come back to conversation around race and and white supremacy a bit later on. Really want to talk about your work. Um, What is guerrilla feminism slash the guerrilla feminist?
1: So um, I started it in 2011, um, a year after my master's program, and I really kind of started it out of um, a feeling of loneliness um, because I, I was living in Chicago at the time, and I was, felt very isolated and wanted to be involved in activism or within social justice spaces in some way, but um, had a lot of anxiety as to where to get started, how to get started, where to go. Um, and so I kind I, of decided to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, can I ask what planted that seed? Why did you have that desire? Um, to the desire to to be within, to do activism? or mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think, well... I had always so my my mom took me to my first gay pride march when I was four or five, and I that was something that really, even though I was very young, it made a, a huge impression on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then much later, when I was like twenty or so, I went to my first Take Back the Night rally, and it really kind of changed my life um, because it, as a survivor of sexual violence, it really opened up something in me that I, I felt like, Oh my God, like I want to, I want to do this work. I want to speak back to this stuff. I want to, um, you know, show people that they're not alone and be inclusive and all of these things. Um, And then uh, sort of as I made my way through grad school, Um, And we I was able to be in these places, very privileged spaces in, you know, the education system where we would have conversations like two hour long conversations in a class about um, social justice and and what to do about the state of the world. Um, And I really missed having those conversations with my peers. And so. I think a lot of it stemmed from from not having that for a while. This was, I mean, because I started Guerrilla Feminism a year after I graduated. And so I, and I had always been very passionate about social justice issues. Um, I think it was very much instilled in me as a kid. Um, my, my dad was an anti-war protester um, and organized marches um, against the Vietnam War, my mom was a feminist and, and you know, very much involved in feminist activism. And so there was kind of no escaping. Right. <laughs> um, escaping it to some extent. Um, and so it, I think I just have had, have always felt passionate and like, this is, this is what I need to be doing. And I need to, you know, be using my privileges to, um, to do this. Um, and so that's, I think, where that, where that all kind of started for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so GF initially started as a, a street activist campaign where I would print out different types of like mostly visuals, um, and laminate them or make them into something. And then, um, like post them in different spaces in the city of Chicago on buses or trains or in bars or whatever. And the images would mostly speak to, um, I mean, at the time, I think I was doing a lot of work around um, pro-choice and abortion, uh, as well as um, sexism and misogyny. And so I would po- I would kind of flyer different places in Chicago, and then um, kind of watch people interact with the images or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and some people would take them, and some would just kind of look and and like, you know, question what what they were. Um, but so the, my goal at the time was like I want to I wanna do this with, with more people and and make this you know more of a, a group thing so it's not just me and you know so I, I created a Facebook page and um the goal was to see to get other people doing this kind of work um street activist campaign stuff um in their locations and so that was the initial goal and then it really evolved into You know, what it is today, which is really just an online digital activist or educational space um, where I am, you know, attempting to amplify um, marginalized voices and use this platform that I have um, to do that and to make people listen. Because clearly, um, I I mean, I, I know most of my followers are white and I know that, unfortunately, white people listen to other white people over people of color, um, especially over women of color. And so um, part of my, you know, my goal with the online spaces has been to really amplify um, the work of women of color, of trans women of color, um, and kind of make other white people look at that work and listen and feel uncomfortable and deal with it (laughs) um Mm. as well as create my own original content too around what it is you know to to exist in these spaces and have white privilege and and we'll talk about more of that later i'm sure but that's sort of what how gf came to be and sort of what how it evolved to what it is now i love that i'm struck by two things um
0: firstly how th- your ancestors so your your parents and and others who from your bloodline have influenced the fact that you show up doing social justice work because that's mm-hmm. the kind of work that they were doing mm-hmm. um and it's always so interesting to me how we are influenced by those that we come from oh
1: yeah totally.
0: right and not yeah. always i mean you know my, i think about my parents my my parents um The line of work that they do and kind of what their path has been is very, very different to mine. Mm -hmm. But I know I come from them because of the way that I hold myself. Mm -hmm. The way that I do my work is very much because I'm so much them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, Yeah. And so it's, I, so I love that because, you know, we're talking about ancestorship and how those who have influenced us those who have come before us influence us and in how we are influencing those who will come after us. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I love, I love that you shared that story. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and I also am really struck by, and this is one of the reasons why I did want to have you and um, have this conversation with you is that I do see the way that you use your platform to uplift and center the voices mm-hmm. of marginalized people, especially black women um, mm-hmm. And black trans uh, folk as well, mm-hmm. and but you do it in a way that is not patronizing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or um, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> or, or without centering yourself, so it's always clear to mm-hmm. me when you're posting something that is this is not my this is not my area of expertise, but I'm posting it to center this person.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what I want people Mm -hmm. to be, yeah, to be seeing.
0: Yeah. So you do that, but then you also have, as you said, your own original content, which comes from your own experiences. So conversations around um, sexual health, um, Mm -hmm. learning disabilities, mental health, um, you know, your, your um, journey as a librarian in training, your digital Mm -hmm. activism, sex work activism. um, Yeah. It's really, it, I, I I really respect the way that you do that. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And so um how so so this has been a so to, you started in 2011 we're in 2019 now. Mhm. 8 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what has um what has that journey been like for you, you personally,
1: LaCrista? Hmm. I mean, certainly not easy. <laughs> I think, I mean, this, this work, I don't think is, you know, meant to be easy though. Um. So uh, it's, it's been, I always tell people I, you know, I have, so I do have this, this connection to academia and I have, you know, this master's degree in, in women's and gender studies. And that did not teach me near as much as like, you know, people online doing this work and people on like Tumblr doing this kind of work. Um, I mean, I, I think coming out of that, that educational program, I still like really did not know a lot about a lot of, th- and I mean, not that I know everything now either, of course, but um, I have, I just, I've learned so much with regards to Um, issues of like accessibility um, and issues of race and class. And, and I've really learned much more about intersectionality specifically over the years than I ever did in, you know, a a grad program. Um, And so I think my, my sort of, my, my journey with all of that has been one of immense growth and. Change and evolution, and I think, I hope that has been clear to the to people who have followed me from the beginning. um, Because I think, I I mean, I know I lacked a lot of of um, understanding of a lot of these things, Um, and and again, it's not like I I have all the answers or know everything about everything now either. But I I feel like I have grown a lot. Um, and, and I want people to grow with me, um, and to be on that journey with me because I, I think especially white people who are following me, I mean, you have to, I mean, I, I, I think back to like when I first was sort of getting involved with feminism, it was a very, very sort of white feminist kind of thing initially. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, you know, maybe 1920 and like, that i think that's kind of how a lot of white people white women get sort of interested into feminism um is this really surface-based oh we want we want to be equal to men to white men and like you know like this is what we're aiming for and this is what's important and you know it's all about reproductive rights and which are important but i mean i think for a lot of us white women, we don't come into feminism with an understanding whatsoever um, around race or class, really. Um, and and I think, you know, it might be okay to start in that place, but if you stay in that place, it's kind of, it's very detrimental to the movement and to just, you know, I, I think just to, it's harmful to people of color Um if you can't move from that kind of like liberal white feminist pussy hat wearing, you know, space. Um, And so I, I always sort of want to impress upon other white people like, yeah, okay. It's great that you're, you know, you're IDing as a feminist and you're interested in all of this, but like, how, how can we all, how can we all move each other along so that we're, we're not just in this like, sort of initial phase of like uh, of feminism and, and specifically white feminism um and so that has been a big part of my journey too is um you know because initially I I wasn't um I wasn't as focused on amplifying marginalized voices because I was still unclear about what that really meant mm-hmm. and um I, di- I didn't um I didn't have the the size platform that I have today. And so, um, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of missteps. Um, but I think, you know, learning and growing from those things and um, being able to hold myself accountable and, you know, um, have others hold me accountable as well to this work um, has been really... Uh, major in my growth um, and in my um, evolution and journey.
0: Hmm. And I know at the moment, at the time that we're recording this, you have just recently decided to turn off comments on your social <laughs> media, on your Instagram, at least. I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know what's happening over there. Yeah, but <laughs> I know on Instagram you have made the decision for yourself that I'm going to turn off comments and I'm not going to answer DMs. Um, mm-hmm. And you said something. You said, and I'm paraphrasing, so you can correct me. Sure, but sure. But something along the lines of that you realize that you can't care more about other people than you care about yourself. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And I really see because I've watched you so I so I know this has been a this has been a struggle with your mental health yes 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 it has and your emotional well-being Mm -hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about that and kind of as as you see um guerrilla feminism in the present and moving into the Mm -hmm. future
1: yeah Yeah. um (laughs) that's a lot Mm -hmm.
0: so um and I appreciate that you're in a space of figuring it out so
1: yeah yeah no need yes, it for any I, tidy please, answers <laughs> yes great okay yes because i'm still definitely it's only been 20, not even 24 hours since i said no dms and it's only been about a week or so since i have closed comments um yeah i um so i have an anxiety disorder i have ptsd um and i'm not saying these things to to excuse anything um, it's just this, it's contextual and I think it's important. Um, I have, um, for a long time in doing this work on GF, um, I, I get very obsessive when I'm about to post something, um, and so obsessive to the point of sort of, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about every way that a post that I post could potentially harm, um, a person or a group of people, and that is a lot of mental um, work, and it's it's work that I do think as a white person, it's important for me to do, but I also um, cannot do it in the way that I've been doing it because it's clearly not sustainable for me, um, and I I recognize that, that I you know. I I have to take care of myself above anyone else um or else I can't be good to this movement I can't help this movement I can't do my part in this movement um and so that's kind of where just the, the deciding to to close comments and DMs came from is is just I, cu- I couldn't really take in the amount of um noise for lack of a better word um, and I don't mean that in like a negative way but just you know like that sort of large amounts I call, of it, wh- I call it white noise <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah it, it, um, so um, and I've, I've had a lot of people uh, specifically white people take issue with me closing comments um, which I find really interesting and I um and i hear from them that they think i'm trying to you know like es- escape any accountability for what i post or say or whatever that's um, interesting okay yeah well and and sort of it's it's been my experience in being a white person and, and in online spaces with other white people that many of us are very we're constantly performing, you know, allyship, or constantly trying to, um, and I'm including myself in this, not because I think I currently do it, I hope I don't, I mean, but because I have been in that, at that point, in, at one point in time, um, but, you know, there's just this constant sort of like, oh, we, we have to like, you know, we gotta try to like look good to people of color, so we're gonna like, you know, harp on other other white people and like this mob mentality kind of thing um and it's it's comes from a really gross place because it's not coming from a like authentic like i want to be i want to you know really like do do something about this and and collect this person and make sure that they understand how this is harmful it's coming from a, a really um I want to be like the center of attention kind of place. And I want people to see like that. I'm being a quote, good white person. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, it's, I have gotten, you know, flack from other white people then for, for closing comments and things like that because they, they can't do that. Right. Like there's no space for them to do that now. Um, And, and I've always been clear, too, though, that I am very reachable. I mean, all over the Internet, really. But um, for people to to um, call me out, call me in, say what they want to say. Um, and, I, I, you know, I also think, though, that I, I have to sort of let go of a lot of this um, desire to appeal to everyone um and this desire to um please everybody and say the right thing all the time and i will inevitably fuck up and um you know i think everyone inevitably will fuck up and that's just kind of what it is and and it's really about how you you manage that and how you deal with that that matters um so i don't know i mean i <laughs> I, I miss being able to interact with people in in spaces on Instagram and in the comments. But I also know that for myself, at least at this point in time, I I can't give it the full attention that it would deserve and that it would require. Um, especially since I do have a lot of white followers, and you know, <laughs> they the <laughs> have a tend there's a tendency then to. Of course, enact harm on people of color through various comments um, and so leaving those comments up can feel gross to me, and I don't want to um trigger people. I don't want to have them have to see this kind of shit um if they don't have to and so I mean, I really kind of just decided I needed to 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 just take take that off um, and let people really kind of interact with um, the actual image and the post and the caption as opposed to getting really bogged down with with reading comments that are mostly from other white people, you know, and are mostly not, you know, really that important to the actual post, um, especially when I'm reposting something from like a woman of color, like um in in those situations it's especially important that white people are kind of not you know engaging with content in that way um so i guess that's i don't know if I answered your question well, I, but- I, I, I well I wanted to say that
0: i just want to acknowledge that these kind of conversations can be awkward um yes <laughs> and so um thank you for just telling the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that last point that you just made around, especially if I'm sharing a post that's from a woman of color, Mm -hmm. you know, I know I definitely, when I think about if a white person is sharing something that I've written, Mm
1: -hmm. you
0: know, because they're sharing what I've written, they're, they're crediting me, right. Tagging me that this is from Layla. Um, The thought in the back of my mind is always if you're going to share something of mine, make sure that you're also ready to, if any nonsense goes down from your mm-hmm. own followers, that you're going to mm-hmm. handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just performative.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that well, is yeah. dangerous to you, too. And it's extremely it, or the, dangerous. You
0: know, right. Yeah. So. Because, because in, in, in kind of in the least, I have these people who are might not come over to my space, but in that space, what I might see is someone who said this is really great. I'm going to share it, but when someone pushes back, they don't, they don't, they don't hold that. They don't hold their ground, right? And mm-hmm. so it makes me feel like, well, either you don't understand the nature of this work, or you're not really all in, right? Totally. Um, and then you know, so that's the least that can happen. That might you know right, scrape right. me, but it doesn't harm me. Um, right. The worst is that those people then come into my space, and right. be, being abusive either in my co- in my comment section, through my emails, in my DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I get it. Like I get, I do, I do get that. Um, and I have seen, and again, just because of the sheer size of your platform and -hmm. the type of content that you are posting and the fact that your audience is very white, there Mm -hmm. is with every single post that you post potential for real harm to be done.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Now i don't ha- I don't know if turning the comments off is the best thing, the worst thing i don't that's not right. and it's and it's your platform, so it's not really right right, right, right. <laughs> it's not really my place to tell you what to do or not to do in it, but I think it is important to have these kind of conversations and acknowledge
1: mm-hmm.
0: the intricacies and the complexities of it um, because it's not it's not binary No, no, not at all yeah yeah, so thank you for mm-hmm. for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um one so you touched a little bit on how you um have um so you mentioned you had PTSD and mm-hmm. um anxiety as well. Yes. Um yep. the other things that you also talk about in your work a lot are your learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um you so, I read today an article that you'd written, and you said in the third grade that you were just you were diagnosed with dyscalculia is that right My, Yep. yep so dyscalculate dyscalculia and language processing disorder, which is a disability which makes it difficult for you to process information that you receive and then regurgitate it back either on paper mm-hmm. or verbally correct yep. right and so in the age of social media activism Mm -hmm. and having a learning disability. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experiences around that? I've seen you do some really great, um, you you did like a a story series on on why um, telling people to just Google it isn't always the best thing to do.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that came out of, I mean, for years I had, said to people, we'll just Google it, you know, um, Google.com. yeah, just go, mm-hmm. just go do it, whatever. And, um, then I, I, it was only through sort of, you know, reading other things and learning more about, um, more about this. And also I think, um, being in library school, because, you know, so many people will say like, oh, well, why do you need a librarian? Like, just Google it. But like, <laughs> librarians actually can help you get vetted information. And I mean, that's the difference. Um, yeah. And so I think too, when you're telling somebody to just Google something and not necessarily, and I'm not saying that. And again, in that story, I want to clarify that um, that was really kind of aimed at other white people saying that um okay. because i i don't feel it's my space to of course tell people of color how to d- deal with white people being like well where do i find that you know i mean like right. like more power to you tell white people to google shit that's totally whatever that's fine but it was mostly for other white people who you know just sort of parrot over and over well just google it just google it um and i think I just don't think it's beneficial. I mean, I think people need to, at the very least, um, give people some search terms that they could they can Google. Um, and I mean, I think that's sort of doing doing the work as a white person, though. Too is like um, is taking on that that labor and and communicating to another white person, like, okay, so this is where you need to go for this, and this is what you should be looking up um for me as somebody who is learning disabled um i have often had a hard time when people have told me to do things like that in the past um because i can't always i mean i don't if i don't know what i'm looking for then i i don't know what i'm looking for and there are millions of things on google and you know you can find all kinds of there's a lot of crap on Google. And so um, it's sifting through a lot of that too. Um, and so I do think it's it's ableist to just sort of, you know, say to people, like, just Google it, whatever. Um, and for me, as somebody with these two learning disabilities, um, particularly the, the second one, because the dyscalculia is really just, um, it's really, it's mostly talked about as like the math version of dyslexia. So I don't always, I mean, in, in social media spaces, I don't typically have to do math, so it doesn't really right. come into play there. But the the language processing disorder, um, I mean, I, I think I constantly have issues with feeling like I'm not articulating myself correctly or um, I'm not coming across the way that I want people to, to know that I'm coming across. And I mean, I've had that feeling ever since I was this little third grade girl who was diagnosed with these things. Um, And so I think I'm, I'm, I'm sort of constantly in this, this mode of over explaining um, sometimes and, and just really wanting to make sure people, get what I'm saying. Um, and that's not necessarily specific to my learning disability. I know a lot of people feel that way, but, um, I think there is, um, for sure elements of because I have this learning disability that it's, it's sort of more, um, on my mind and and more difficult for me, uh, to, to navigate that in some ways. Um, Mm. And so, and I never want to use it as as an excuse or a crutch or anything like that. Um, But, but yeah, I I mean, it's, it's, it is something I I deal with. And um, the, you know, online spaces are not super uh, accessible, of course, in a lot of ways and um, to people with any kind of disability. and so, I I think in the future with GF, I'd really like to work on um, think more thinking more about accessibility and what that looks like, and you know, using the the alt text option now that Instagram has, and um, really sort of incorporating that into into my work as well. Hmm.
0: I I appreciate
1: that. You know, as someone who is
0: neurotypical, I don't have any learning disabilities or, mm-hmm. or any physical uh, disabilities. Um, and so that is a uh, hidden spot for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I have learned from people who talk about it, like yourself, right. um, to be aware of that because it's, you know, if you, it's, it's like any kind of privilege. If you, <laughs> you're the one who's privileged, you don't right. realize that there's a whole other group of people who don't, have that right and when it right you learning disabilities especially um it's seen as a kind of invisible disability right it's not something right. that you show on your body um, no exactly or something yeah. that you can even easily explain in words what it right right what yeah. it yeah what it feels like or what that process is for you um for sure and so it's something that I try to be mindful of, well, that I'm trying to be more and more mindful of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I think I really do need to make even more of a priority because it, you know, the, it, it's like, it's not just the rare few. Right, right. Right? Yeah. Um and so I appreciate, I, I appreciate how, you, you know, writers such as yourself bring that, um, bring, bring that in. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and again, though, I love that when you did that story series, you began the series by saying, now I'm, if you are, if you belong to a marginalized identity, yeah. you wanna <laughs> say, just Google it, go ahead, because I'm not gonna yeah. tell you how to deal with people who are requesting free emotional labor exactly. from, from you, who are antagonizing you.
1: Um, people just being straight up racist to you. I mean, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, so I appreciated that. But then it, so, but you saying
0: that from the get go then made it easier for me to listen to you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm always trying to stay in my lane about a lot, you know, all of this stuff. And I really, uh, you know, I really am trying to not cause more harm to people of color. I mean, clearly I will just by being a white person and by fucking up, I'm sure, sure. But, you know, it's something that I think all white people need to be constantly thinking about and like, okay, so <laughs> let's make sure we're not like co-opting or taking over or, you know, telling people of color what to do or whatever. So. Well,
0: thank you, LaCrista. Um yeah. Oh, the time is really flying. I'm like, is that the I time? know. <laughs> okay. We're going to go into our uh, final portion of the okay. podcast. And what I've done is because there are a number of people that I'm bringing on as guests who are white or who hold white privilege, I wanted to have kind of like a, um, a series of questions that I ask everybody who holds that identity. Sure. Um, because, you know, and I spoke to you about this before we hit record. My intention when I bring on anyone who is white onto this podcast is not to uphold that person as the exceptional white person who no no longer has any white privilege, no longer has any (laughs) white supremacy in them, no longer, you know, just got, got, did all the work, got to the end. And now is (laughs) in a special group of people. Um, Right. right. And the reason why, um, and so, and so that, you know, that is something that I want to make very, very clear to anyone listening. And I know that you, lachrista we had that discussion because that was one of yes. your concerns as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had said to you, um, you know, I, that I often, I think, get looked at as by other white people anyways, as like, oh, like you do this, you do this, like, you know, white privilege accountability thing really well, like you're perfect at this or whatever. And I'm totally not. And I don't want people to think that and that does not exist. Mm -hmm. So I I want to make sure that um, white people, other white people know that really understand that, that, you know. This is not something that you just like arrive at and like you're done <laughs> you're, right. you know and that and that just because I have this following too does not mean that I know everything or that I do everything well or perfect or anything so mm-hmm. um, yes and and just because
0: she has uh women of color and black women like myself who follow her. Exactly.
1: That too. Doesn't mean, right. So. Doesn't mean that I'm, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not a quote, good white person. I'm not, you know, yeah, that's not what that's, that's not what this is about. That's
0: not what this is about, but I did want to bring on um, some people to talk about their specific, to talk about your specific journey of kind of your racial awakening and your, and your and, so the first question I have for you in this kind of round is when did your awakening around race and white supremacy actually begin? Like what was,
1: Oh, wow. Can you remember
0: Um, the moment? If, was there a moment?
1: God. Um, Hmm. I mean, so I grew up in, so I'm from Wisconsin, which was again, just ranked as the most segregated state in the U S. Wow. Um, which is really awful. And, Um, I, so I grew up in a very predominant white space. Um, I think in my high school graduating class, there was maybe five, uh, people of color and maybe three of those people were black. Um, and that's really appalling. Right. Um, I... You know, so I I didn't grow up with a lot of people of color around me. Um, there were a few, but, you know, not, not many at all. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't really recall. I, like, I, I recall as a child understanding that um, because I had, of course, friends, like friends as a kid who were um, not white. Um, and I, I remember... Um, because kids know kids know this stuff. Um, I, I remember knowing that and understanding that they were different from me, um, but not really understanding why or um, what that was really about, but I knew that they were different from me, and especially in I think in middle school. I began to notice because there were, I think, maybe a couple of just like a few black girls in my class. I began to notice sort of the ways in which they were treated differently than I was and like the uh, my other white peers. Um, and it's not like I could have named it. You know, I, I didn't have the language, of course, then or even the, the understanding of like this is white privilege and all of that. But I you know, I, I still was able to figure out and know, like, okay, why, like, this doesn't seem okay. Like, why are, why are these girls treated dif- totally differently and, and not good differently? Of course. How, what kind of things can you remember about the ways that they were treated differently? Sure. Um, I mean, I remember like, they would be constantly chastised for being quote loud you know, like that whole thing. Like, mm. um, whereas if there was a table of white kids, like they weren't, they weren't called on that, you know? Mm. Um, so it was things like that, that I, I noticed, uh, as a kid, like, well, this is kind of strange and like, um, you know, what's the deal with that? Um, and I, but I don't really... I don't know that I ever had any conversations about that with like my parents or with anyone else, which is why I think it's so important too, for like parents to be involved in this kind of work too with their kids. And because kids are smart enough, they know, they know what's, what is going on. Like they, you know, I mean, I, I knew what, I knew that there were differences. Um, I just didn't have that, the language to really name them. Um, But so I that's kind of I think initially where I I saw that. Um and then um it wasn't until I got to college that I read um The Invisible Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh, of course. Um mm. and and I mean so for people who don't know, like that's now kind of it's it's really kind of outdated and it's it's not looked at to be that, you know, great now. But um for I think white people starting out um sort of in the work of dismantling white supremacy and looking at our white privilege, it can be really helpful that right. that piece. um, I know it was for me, it was really kind of like I had this like light bulb moment of like, oh my god, yeah, like i i'm I'm able to do all of these things um that she lists, you know, like I have all of these privileges, like this is really. Like holy shit, you know, Um, and I think ever since that point, that was really the sort of the the starting point for me to be like, this is not okay. Like, (laughs) like this is like I this is like I I need to do something about this. Um, And and for me, I notice when I try to talk to other white people about this work, there's always that that sense of defense and sort of pushback, and scarcity perhaps around losing um their white privilege um and i i still i in for my own self i'm trying to figure out where that comes from um because i and i don't say this to sound any type of way but i have never really felt that connected to um to whiteness in that way i guess um not that i have felt disconnected and i'm not Saying that I felt I was anything other than white, but I have never felt like this sort of grasp that a lot of other white people have with their whiteness. That's like this this really tug, this holding on to it so tightly that they can't look at themselves and look at the fact that they're privileged because of being white. Um, and again, I don't know if that's because I've I don't know, did I've learned from various people about how to, that, you know, I didn't need to feel that way or what, but, um, it's something that I'm still sort of studying amongst other white people and trying to figure out how to really get them to undo that and to just like, let go of it and not be so concerned about, you know, defending their, their white privilege and defending that they have it and being upset about it, you know, um, Can, let, let
0: me yeah. ask the second question then, which yes. is, um, what are, um, some of the hardest lessons that you've had to learn about your white privilege? Mm, okay. Yeah. That
1: goes into what I was saying. So mm-hmm. yeah, good. Um, hardest lessons. I mean, I think, I think I'm, you know, I, I I think that's still sort of, that's an ongoing thing, right? I think I will continuously learn really difficult lessons in this work and around my own white privilege. I think initially, as I was saying, when I read the piece by Peggy McIntosh, um, it was really difficult to learn just about the... um, just about racism in general, just a around, uh, around uh, about racism and and how I as a white person contribute to that um, whether it's covert or overt you know whether whatever way it is like mm. by virtue of being a white person, um, I have a um, you know more of a, a, a a higher starting ground than a person of color, right like i I have way more opportunities, um, way more access to things, and um, that you know learning about that for the first time and still thinking about it you know is really it's hard it's hard to um sort of contend with that because. In, unless you're uh, you know a white person who really does not do this work or doesn't look at their privilege at all um it, you know it it's it's like how do you how do you live with that you know it's really um and and so it's like i see how a lot of white people ignore it and choose to ignore it because um they just they don't want to deal with it because it's just too i think um for that, for some people, they think it's just too difficult to deal with. Um, Mm. And it is difficult and it's difficult to confront that. And it's difficult to confront um, what those of us who are white, what we and what our ancestors have done to people of color um, and what we continue to do to people of color and the ways we continue to harm them. But I think it's better to confront ourselves with that and to actually look at that and speak on that than to just ignore it and pretend like everything's fine and we're all the same and you know, because clearly we're so not. Um you, you talked about well, at the very beginning when we
0: start when we when we kicked off our interview, I said something mm-hmm. like, um the fact that you're Italian North American. And I said there's two things that strike me about that. The first about being the the kind of cultural practice, the spiritual cultural practice. Sure. The second thing, um, which I didn't mention, which I'll kind of bring it back around now Mm -hmm. is I know you've written about anti-blackness in the Italian um, American community. Yeah. And so when we're talking about this question around like what have been the hardest lessons that you've you've learned about your white privilege Mm -hmm. and specifically around, you, you posted something the other day that said, um, where is it? You said we need to examine white privilege in ourselves and in our ancestors.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So talk to me a little bit about that. And the reason why sure. I asked is just today, I was having a conversation with um, an American woman who is a mom at the school where my kids go. Mm-hmm. And she's from North Carolina. And we were talking about race.
1: <laughs> like
0: yeah, sure. And um, she, was, she was talking to me about how hard it is for people from where she is from to have these conversations without feeling, with well, not just without feeling bad about themselves, but without understanding how to do this, how to be in that space of the shame. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, and to not like live in that space. Cause right, can really not do kind of just like that.
0: fold in on yourself and just become right. like a non-person anymore. Um, right. But also... Not to um, kind of skip over it and say, well, you know, it's bad, but it's kind of over now. So
1: right, 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 because that's not helpful true. either um, or true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Not helpful or true. So yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I think, um, you know, I in that post specifically, I talked about how like I grew up around. I mean, all kinds of racism and specific to my, um, my grandparents Um, and a lot of, there's a lot of anti-black racism in um, within Italian American communities. Um, And (sighs) there's just so much to sort of speak to and undo about that. And I think part of, um, you know, part of doing that work then is, you know, not only talking to family um, and, that are being, that are racist and need to really kind of be understanding of, of things like privilege and, and racism, et cetera, but also, um, you know, I mean, the only way we're going to dismantle this is to really um, talk to each other and, and look at our, our, the ways in which our ancestors have also, the ways in which our ancestors haven't done the work. (laughs) Um, Mm. And so, you know, thinking about, like, how my work, I feel like, revolves around doing the work that my ancestors didn't do. Um, The work that they didn't care to do, didn't want to do, didn't potentially know to do, but, um, you know, it's like there's there's just so much um so much that hasn't been done i think and then and of course a lot of this then you know you have white people who are like well my my ancestors didn't own slaves and blah 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 you know as if like that's the that's the end all be all of like someone who is is racist and um it's like well okay mine didn't either but there are still like plenty of ways that like my ancestors harmed people of color you know um uh, and so ta- i think talking about that with other white people and and making other white people like really think about like like look like we all we each have this work to do within our own not not just you know collectively but individually and within our own selves and our own families um and working with that that um and and working to heal generationally too um so
0: okay so then so my next question and we're almost we're almost sure um is, you know, we, we started off this portion by talking about how Krista is not a perfect, exceptional white person who, yes. um, you know, doesn't find this work hard or isn't in the work. Um,
1: how does white fragility show up for you? Mm, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I mean, I think I still have issues with uh, feeling defensive, um, about things sometimes. I think when, um, you know, I know there have been times where I've been called out or called in and I haven't, um, taken it as well as I should have, or I I haven't, I, I didn't, um, accept the call out or call in as I maybe should have. um, and instead was sort of more, um, combative or defensive about that. Um, I think, cause I
0: can imagine there's the way that you think that you'd react when you're, <laughs> when you're not in the moment, right. That <laughs> right when yeah. it happens to me, I'm going to be really, <laughs> I'm going to listen. I'm going to, you know what I mean? And then in the moment when it yeah. happens,
1: you kind of like, that kind of goes out the door. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, And I, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's, that can be very true. Um, I I mean, usually what I have, what I try to do now is, you know, like, I do want to honor those feelings that come up in myself and by honor them, I don't mean like coddle them or I, I really just mean like sort of be sitting with that for a moment. So what I try to do now is like, if I feel like that is Coming up for me, like any sort of sense of defensiveness or fragility or whatever, um, that I sort of st- take a step back and you know look at it in another way and look at it from the the usually the it's the, the person of color's perspective um, to sort of um, get get my mind out of that defense, uh, you know mechanism coping mechanism kind of thing and so taking a step back and um you know thinking more intentionally about like what this person is saying to me and um how really it's an opportunity for growth and expansion and um then being able to thank people who do take the time to to call me out and call me in on things that I need to be called in and called out on um, because I know that that takes a certain amount of emotional labor and, and all of that. So, um, I, I, I don't know what, what other, I'm trying to think of other ways that it might show up for me. Yeah, um,
0: well, I, I like what you said about that you honor the fact that you are feeling it and that honoring doesn't mean coddling, but acknowledging that it's actually happening right Um, and naming it i guess
1: yeah yeah yeah. i mean i think um because so i think a lot of those those a lot of us who are white and in social justice spaces again there's this this um you know this sort of desire to to be perfect about it all the time which is not even really we can't even attain that so like why why are we all trying to be perfect at this but um because of that desire i think a lot of us don't don't you know we don't want to be um we don't want to stop and think about and feel um fragility or uh you know like feeling defensive or whatever else um and for me it's really sort of a struggle deciding you know is like is this person um who is saying whatever it is to me are they um is this like really, you know, what I should do Um, or is it not? Or am I being, is like, is my white fragility coming up here? Am I trying to talk myself out of, I mean, there's just like a lot that goes through my head in those situations of like, um, of course I want to listen to this person and, and honor what they're saying and validating what they're saying, but also knowing too that, people are not always 100% you know, right on everything that they say um, or do. And so kind of navigating that from like, which am I coming at this from a white fragility space or am I coming at this from like uh, a listening space and like uh, a, a listening and um, welcoming space of really being able to hear what this person is saying um, and I think that can be a struggle for a lot of, a lot of white folks on, um, in these spaces just because we're, we're not, we're not very good at, at, at a lot of, uh, this, this, this work, unfortunately, cause we don't do it enough and we should be. So, hmm. well, I appreciate what you said earlier about
0: the fact that you have a big platform doesn't mean that you... Are now perfect, and that, yeah. (laughs) If anything, I I can imagine, if anything, actually, it can, I can imagine that it could lull a person into a false sense of security.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I think, and I think that I have felt that um, a couple years ago. And so then it's very easy to not feel humble. Mm. about a lot of a lot of things because people will talk you up and Mm -hmm. etc um and you know like ego is real that like you know and so um but man there are there have been times where really like You get you get brought down to earth pretty quickly (laughs) if you're you're online, which is great. I mean, and and is needed and and is important. But but yeah, I think it is. I think it is like what exactly what you said. Like it's very easy sometimes to, you know, this just you know the whole like numbers game of like oh well I have all these followers, so like it's gross. But like I it yeah I totally get. that whole thing of like, well, I guess people think I'm really great, but like, <laughs> or right. something, but you know, I'm sure I have a lot of hate followers too, though. Like that's a thing too. So who mm-hmm. knows? Um,
0: But yeah. Well, I, I just think it's really important for us to name that because again, there is no, there is no, I, I want to impress upon our listeners that there is no um, like, Uh, uh, thing that you can get that you tick the box and once you've achieved that thing that means that then you are exempt from the work whether it is how many years you've been doing the work how many followers you have how many books you've read how many classes you've attended how many Mm -hmm. uh, friends and family members you have who are people of color and who are black people like there's no there's no thing that you get to check a box
1: right and that these things no longer apply to you right, and i think I think that's so right, and I think that's something that is so difficult for white people to comprehend um, and to actually like be okay with right um, because I think so many white people are looking for ways to just and and I would include myself in this for sure too um. Uh, not not currently because I I know a bit more now but you know there are just so many ways like you want to think like okay well I can do this work and then it's all it's all better and it's all done and over with and I it's fine like you know like this sort of idea that this work is not ongoing and I mean it it it, it's so it's ongoing. Like as I think, as white people, like I, that's what I try to tell other white people. Like, no, you you should be doing this daily until you, you know, leave this earth. Right. <laughs> like this is not, this is not a like you know. All right. Well, I did this. I'm gonna check that off. Um, I did Layla's workbook, so I'm done with that, and I'm perfect. Right. And like <laughs> you know, like exactly. Okay, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, no, I totally agree with you about that. Mm. Oh, thank you. Um, okay, so the last
0: question I have in this round is, and, and you did mention this early, earlier on when we began, but mm-hmm. um, who are some of the teachers and mentors who've really influenced you in this work? It's so important to cite and to credit the people that you've learned from.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Dr. Brittany Cooper of Crunk mm-hmm. Feminist Collective um trudy of gradient lair um i feminista jones i just got her new book which i'm really excited to read by the way um i need to order it actually (laughs) oh yeah yeah Yeah. no it looks it looks so good um uh kimberly crenshaw of course because of i mean intersectionality like Mm -hmm. um audrey lord um and then I think I named some other sort of um, anarcha feminists earlier. Um, Sylvia Federici has been important to to my sort of anti-capitalist framework um, and think way of thinking. Um, I, just so many people um, that I consistently—I mean, Erica Hart, you of course, <laughs> like. Thank um, you. I mean, I, Rachel Cargill. Like, I just think there's so many, so many amazing people doing just incredible work. Um, and as a white person, it's, I feel really fortunate that I'm able to, um, you know, follow you all and, and, and be able to learn everything I can. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. So
0: that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Okay, so LaCrista where can people find you and follow you? And not send you DMs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so on um the Guerrilla Feminist on Instagram, um as well as on Twitter under my name LaCrista Greco. Um I have a website com, and I think that's pretty much it, I think. Oh, yeah. So that's great. Um, our final question. Yes. What does it mean to you to be a
0: good ancestor?
1: So to be a good ancestor, I think as a white person, um, I believe is to be consistently acknowledging the harm our ancestors have caused and continue to cause to people of color. Um and knowing that there's so much work for for us white folks to do since i'm certain that the majority of us didn't have ancestors who weren't racist um uh so like i said earlier my work revolves around you know doing doing the work that my ancestors didn't do and i think um i i do this work in in you know in the names of my ancestors um uh, that that didn't do this work and that should have
0: hmm. I love that thank you Yeah. I hope that this episode has helped you gain new insights and find deeper answers to what being a good ancestor means to you we'd love to hear what some of your aha moments have been from this conversation you can follow the podcast on Instagram at, at good ancestor podcast and drop us a comment to let us know what some of your biggest takeaways have been Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a good ancestor.